Alrighty, hello everyone, and welcome back to the Reformed Dissenters, the show where Reformed Christians dissent against popular ideas of culture by asserting a biblical worldview. My name is Bruce Johnson. I am joined today, as always, by my brother Jacob Johnson. Hello. And he is back in Pennsylvania. I am in the wonderful state of South Dakota, and uh, we are all very excited to have you joining us today. Don't forget, go to our website, trdshow.net. Send us an email at trdshow at protonmail.com. And send us an email with your topic ideas, things that you'd like to hear us discuss, questions you have, um, things that you want to bring up uh, on the show. This is your time to shine as an audience listener. So if you haven't sent us an email yet, oh, come on. What's going on? Go ahead and pause this and, and do that. You should go do that right now. Because we love getting topic ideas. We just love getting emails from you in general. So if you haven't sent us an email in a while, send us an email at drdshow at protonmail.com. We want to hear from you, like really badly. We really want to hear from you. We want to know there's people out there listening to us somewhere. Uh, so today is Topic Friday. Wow. we uh, The week has just blown by. We're at Friday already. So discussion topic this week is the kingdom of God and it's part two in our series, talking about the kingdom of God. Part one was last week, which is uh, related to our t-shirt, which you can see I'm wearing again today. Figured I'd wear it for each of our uh, our kingdom of God episodes. We're planning on doing three of these, by the way. So this is number two. Will Christ have victory here on earth? Last week was go therefore. What does he mean by go therefore? Next week, we, uh, well, I'll leave that a surprise for next week, but it's going to be really cool. So you definitely want to tune next tune in next Friday for that. But we are talking about will Christ have victory here on earth? And if it, if so, what does that mean? What do we mean by victory here on earth? What does that look like? So, lots to discuss today. But before we get into all of that exciting content, we have to discuss the verse of the week. And uh, our verse this week is Colossians chapter 3 verses 16 through 18, and it says let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And again, that's Colossians 3, 16 through 18. So that last part is actually going to be very pertinent to what we're discussing today which is comprehensive Christianity plays a very big role in our conversation today. So in case you forgot, that last bit says, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. So obviously everything, which is what comprehensive means, it permeates into every, every aspect. It's comprehensive. It's everything. Everything in life should be Christianized. We should do everything for God, which means what we're working towards is comprehensive Christianity. And if you're scratching your head thinking, huh, I've heard that phrase before. Well, good. That means you're a long-term, long-time listener of the show. And you'll remember our uh, January and uh, February, I almost said February, like Wednesday in February. <laughs> um, yeah, our February episode. Uh, <laughs> January and February, we walked through um, the Confessional County by Raymond Simmons, and huge chunks of that book were devoted to comprehensive Christianity. So, 
I'd love to go through that book again sometime in the future, but I did use it for a little bit of research today in studying this topic in addition to a few other books by Gary DeMar and uh, Gary North as well. So some great resources. If you're ever interested in where we get some of our resources for this show, send us an email and we'd love to send some your way as well. Uh, so you can do your research. So <clears throat> there are so many things that could be and have been said about the kingdom of God, but today we just want to touch on a few of the central elements related to this topic. So if you walk away from this episode thinking, why didn't they say this? Or why didn't they say that? Or, oh, I still have questions. Or, oh, I don't, I really don't like the, they're, they could have said so much more on this topic or whatever. That's great. Thank you for thinking those thoughts. Share them with us. Send us an email. Um, but also know that, yes, it's it's an in, it's intentional because we only have half an hour and we have a lot to cover. So we definitely didn't cover everything, but that's why it's a three-part series. So we can cover a lot of the things. So I want to start, I want to divide today's show into two sections and then have a lot of subheadings under those sections, but two main sections. One is, what do we mean by the kingdom of God? And two, uh, what does this, wh why does this matter to the modern Christian? So probably the last 10 minutes we'll spend talking about why this matters, but we want to spend the first large chunk of time talking about and defining the kingdom of God and how this relates to Christ having victory. So in order to know and to answer the question, will Christ have victory here on earth? We have to define what victory means. We have to define what that victory looks like as best we can, given what we know from scripture. So starting out, uh, and before I, before I move on, actually, before I start getting into his kingdom is not of this world, which is under the definition or under the heading of what do we mean by the kingdom, defining the kingdom of God. Jake, is there anything you'd like to contribute or, or just kind of kick us off with anything before I get into the weeds? <laughs> um, but this principle. No, not necessarily. Okay. Um, we can continue going. I do have something to say about this and the okay. way that we've worded uh, what, what we have. Yeah. But, um, yeah, we can continue going. But keep in mind, I do have something that I am Sweet. talking about. Awesome. All right. <laughs> Can't wait to hear it. So, um, first subheading is his kingdom is not of this world. First and foremost, we have to establish the fact that the kingdom of God does not come out of which is what the original Greek meant and implied here, it doesn't come out of this world. It comes from Christ and his redemptive work on the cross. When we discuss kingdom work, we are not advocating for Christians to place their faith in earthly institutions like the civil government. We are not saying that when politics are going well, according to human reasoning, I put going well in quotes because well, what does that even mean? When they're going well, according to us, like say for instance, under Trump, uh, we're not saying that when things go well politically sometimes that that's God's kingdom, that his kingdom has now come because politically something has gone well. Um, while it's true that good politics or socioeconomic stability is one result of God's kingdom, it does not define the kingdom. Definition of the kingdom is not, oh, cool, politically, there's some decent people in there. Politically, uh, Ron DeSantis has instituted some decent political structures and the American dollar in uh, the state of Florida, if he had control over that sort of thing, is actually doing really well. And people are worth, you know, their dollars go farther. That must mean that Florida is now becoming the kingdom of God. 
just because it's political and it's detached from Christ. That is not how we define the kingdom of God and how the Bible defines it, we believe. John 18, 35 through 37. There's so much here. And I really, really wish I could just spend the whole show episode breaking down this this passage because this, these two verses contain an incredible, incredible amount of, of things I really want to discuss, but I'll just focus on a few things. Let me first read it uh, so you know what we're talking about. <laughs> John 18, 35 through 37 says, Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What, what have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king? Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And that was John 18, 35 through 37. So, wow, lot there. First of all, Pilate here is questioning Christ. And he's like, well, what have you done? Why have you been, why have your own people delivered you over to me? And Jesus answers in a very interesting way. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. And so, so many people misconstrue that. They take that word of, that preposition, and they twist it. And they say, ah, see, there's no earthly reign of, there's no earthly reign of Christ. That of there means that uh, he's not of this world. He's not in this world. And um, what's actually interesting, and Gary DeMar does a fantastic job of breaking down the original Greek and the Greek behind this preposition. But what it actually refers to is out of. It does not come out of this world. Its origin, its point of origin is not from this world. Which means that, no, not aliens. It's not of this world. It means that <laughs> um, you cannot pull earthly ideas uh, and ideas that don't start with Christ and start with those ideas to build the kingdom. His kingdom does not start with the ideas of this world, of the sinner, uh, the sinner's mind. It starts with Christ, just like all wisdom, as we learned on Wednesday and all through this month, all wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. So does the kingdom of God. It begins with him. Uh, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. So what he's saying here is that, you know, this had to happen. Him being delivered over to the Jews because the pilot here is saying, what, what have you done? Why, why have you been delivered over to me? Your own nation, chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? And, and Christ here is saying, this is done for a reason so that his kingdom can come. So that the fulfillment of everything that had to happen for his kingdom to begin could happen. His death on the cross, which kicked off his kingdom, had to happen. And that's what he's saying here. My kingdom is not from the world, but it is over this world. So then Pilate says, are, are you a king? Christ doesn't deny it. He does not deny that he's a king. And earlier he says, if my kingdom, if, he's, if someone possesses a kingdom, what does that make them? A king. A king. <laughs> exactly. So Christ does not deny that he's a king. Christ is king. Pilate says, so you are a king? Jesus says, you say that I am a king. For this purpose, I was born. For this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. 
So uh, Gary DeMar in his book, Myths, Lies, and Half-Truths says, uh, the kingdom of God does not advance by military power. Though power directed, the kingdom's power comes from above and works on the heart of man. And then he quotes Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27, which says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will be careful to observe my ordinances. Again, Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27. Self-government, wherein God subdues the heart to uh, teachableness, leads to godly family, church, and civil governments under God. 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 13, end quote. So what he's saying there is that it starts very differently, just as how um, we were talking on Wednesday that the, the, the wisdom of God seems like foolishness to men. Um, this is a great example of that. When the word of God is called uh, uh, to be, sh it's, it's called a weapon and it's, uh, it's described as something being sharper than any two-edged sword. This is an incredibly, this is sharper than all the weapons on earth. Christ is above all of those principalities and powers and authorities. That seems like utter madness. When we say those things and we say, but that doesn't happen through military might. Has that ever really happened in history? Not really. Doesn't make it into the history books if it's somehow a nation conquers the world without military might. What did Rome have to use to push its boundaries of its kingdom across the world? It's a huge military, right? It had to push that massive military across the whole planet in order to, to win. But what are we being told here? That that's not how we win. We're being told, forget everything you know. <laughs> forget what you're taught as a human. Forget what your wicked heart says that you need to trust in your own arm, your own strength, your own weapons. This is saying Christ will be victorious through the preaching of his word. When it says that he'll return with a, 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 a sword coming out of his mouth. It's the gospel. It's the wisdom that God gives of how to structure societies for him, for his glory. And so that's what—that's the point that Gary Demar is getting across here. Um, and, and to add to that, <clears throat> another Gary Demar quote yeah, um, yeah. from an article that he wrote, um, in which he says there is no need for an earthly throne for Jesus. And and keep in mind, this is an answering um, someone who was saying that Christ will come through military might. When mm. Christ comes again, he will come through military might and yeah. he will take over the earth. <laughs> and but. Gary diminishing, DeMar, greatly diminishing the power of the gospel. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And Gary Damar is saying that there is no need for an earthly throne for right. Jesus. Yes. Jesus, Jesus' throne is in heaven. And I'm yes. continuing on with the quote. Jesus' throne is in heaven. And then he quotes two verses where he says, Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Wherein is a house... Oh, sorry. Where then is a house you could build for me? Hmm. Again, that that is two verses found both in Isaiah sixty six one and Acts seven forty nine. Yes. Um. So, Christ's kingdom is. Um. Christ doesn't need an earthly. Yes. Throne, yes. Right? His kingdom is on earth and is over the earth, but he does not reign on the earth physically. Yes. Yes. 
Yeah, that's that's really great. Yeah, because when we assume that we need our own military might and our own powers as human beings, because we don't think the gospel is enough, we mm. greatly diminish what Christ truly did on the cross, what he has allowed to occur, the incredible blessings and incredible covenants now that are open to us, the incredible wisdom in the word of God that now we're capable of taking and applying to all areas of life to make disciples of all nations. So um, the kingdom of God that we're working for, as Christ calls us to in Matthew 28, 18 through 22, uh, is a spiritual one, which ultimately affects and transforms the physical world and culture we live in. That's the result. It needs to be comprehensively applied to all areas of life, all areas of society transformed for Christ. That is what the kingdom is. That is what the kingdom looks like. And that is the definition of it. So I do want to move on to my next point because we don't have a ton of time left, but I want to talk about God's kingdom growth is gradual because we can get dismayed. We can get really, really um, uh, 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 pessimistic about the future because, well, it hasn't happened yet. Um, we, we, we don't like to, to broaden our perspective and realize the progress that has been made and the, the, the length and breadth that the gospel has already been spread across the whole earth, right? We don't, we don't like to look at that because we like to live in the now, or we like to only look at the past 200 years. And yeah, it looks kind of bleak then, but if you pan out to the past thousand years, you realize, oh, wow, actually this is getting way better. Okay. <laughs> you have to understand that God works gradually. And so this, this next part is, is really important to that. Matthew 13, 31 through 32 says, He, meaning Christ, put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants, and it becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Matthew 13, 31 through 32. It begins as the smallest seeds. That, that part is really important. It starts out super tiny, okay? But it grows into a massive tree eventually. It grows humongously. It starts out super small and grows massively. Ezekiel 47 gives us an incredible illustration, another illustration, of the incremental increase of his kingdom. For some context, you have to understand that a lot of what's in Ezekiel 47 was just actually explained to us by Christ. He referred back to Ezekiel 47. Um, the waters that are described in this passage are the same living waters that Christ talked about in John 7, 37 through 40. It is the salvation and spiritual renewal that opens our eyes and strips us, strips us of the folly and darkness of our sinful hearts. Those are the waters that we're going to talk about when we get to Ezekiel 47. Also, as we, as the body of Christ, are described as the temple of God all throughout the New Testament, multiple places. Um, check out 1 Corinthians 3, 16 through 17. There's a whole host of other passages if, if you're interested in, in those as well. Um, send us an email at trdshow at protonmail.com. We'd be happy to send them to you. With those two pieces of information, Ezekiel 47 starts to paint an incredible image of hope, understanding that we are the temple of God and the waters, living waters, 
is the gospel. It's the renewal. It's the changing of society. It's the healing of nations. It's the transforming them for Christ. Okay. So now with that in mind, let's, let's read through Ezekiel 47. I I pulled out some excerpts, some verses from this because it is a rather long passage. Um, But I highly recommend you read through it as well. But it, it says, then he brought me back to the door of the temple and behold, water was issuing from beneath the threshold of the temple toward the east for the temple faced east. The water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple south of the altar. Going on eastward with a measuring line in his hand, the man measured a thousand cubits, then led me through the water and it was ankle deep. Again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water and it was knee deep. He measured a thousand and led me through the water and it was waist deep. Again, he measured a thousand and it was a river that I could not pass through for the water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in a river that could not be passed through wherever the river goes. Every living creature that swarms will live. And on the banks on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing and tie into that Habakkuk chapter two, verse 14, some very similar language. Now that we're used to hearing this, it says for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord, uh, knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. All of this starts to paint a very optimistic future. While slow, there is progress and incredible amounts of progress, I might add. Um, And we are told all throughout scripture that this progress will be made across the entire earth. Um, a, a, a river that starts at knee deep, yeah, it starts at, at, at knee deep, ankle deep, then it goes to knee deep, then it, it goes to waist deep, then it's a huge river that you can't even cross. Um, it's, it's just, it's growing and growing and getting farther and farther and farther until the whole earth is filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So we are living right now under the reign of Christ. We're living in that time. Ephesians 1, 19 through 22 tells us that God has seated him, Christ, at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, end quote. Excuse me. So also we see in in Matthew 12, 28 through 29, Christ says, if it is by the spirit of God, that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Strong man. It was Matthew 12, 28 through 29. Christ is reigning. That's the clear message of scripture. Christ is reigning. Satan has been bound. As Doug Wilson has said on multiple occasions, when Christ came, he took the devil's stuff. That's what he did. So, does that answer our question, Jake? Our original question was, um, uh, the kingdom of God, will Christ have victory here on earth? After all of that, what do you think Mm. the answer is? (laughs) Hmm. I think it's a clear and emphatic, yeah, right. Huh, man, I don't know. I, I have no idea. I think it is a very clear and emphatic yes. There is... From my perspective, I believe that there is 
no way to deny after reading all of that. Those are just a few of the verses. There are there's verse after verse after verse. I have a I have a huge list of them. If in the comments, and uh, you know anyone is interested in, in seeing more of those, you're like, wow, that's interesting. Send me more. I can re recommend a ton of really good books. David Chilton, great author. Look him up. David Chilton, Paradise Restored is a great book for a lot of this. Um, Gary Demar has fantastic books. There's so much to read and study and delve into this this topic. Right, so much more that could be said. So if you're interested in further research in this, definitely send us an email because we have a lot more we can send your way if you're if you're interested. But I think even just this, just these few verses paints a very clear message that Christ will be victorious and he is reigning today. Okay, six minutes left. This, Jake, I want, I want you to discuss a little bit because I've done a lot of blabbing up until now. So <laughs> sorry, everyone. You had to hear my voice for 24 whole minutes. Oof. Um, <laughs> but here's the big question. Okay, why does this matter to the modern Christian? Why do, why, why, okay, Christ is victorious, uh, he's going to be victorious, he's working today, he's reigning, what does that do for me? So, I think there's like two different subpoints. how, wherever you want to take this, Jake, go for it. Well, I mean, first off, having hope for the future is what the Bible calls for, mm, right? Yeah. That is the biblical understanding that we should have, yes. having hope for the future and under this subheading we will inherit the earth yes right we will inherit the earth as the meek we will inherit the earth mm. and multiple multiple verses show this yes um and i will quickly rapid fire go through all of these <laughs> and then hopefully Sweet. bruce bruce will either be surprised or he can give his own comments on each of these <laughs> but um, yeah, there are tons. But starting out, Romans 4.13, which says, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Mm. Right? For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world. Yes. So Abraham and Abraham's offspring, which would be us, right. are heirs of the world. Wow. And the, the cool part of that, that last bit, you did say I could comment, so I'm, I'm commenting. Yeah. <laughs> that last bit, you know, talking about the ceremonial law, it didn't come from those ceremonial laws. It came from mm -hmm. the ultimate fulfillment of those, what they pointed towards, which was Christ, right? Which kicked off that covenant, which yeah. kicked off opened it up and exploded it in all new incredible ways that yeah. perfect fulfillment of those laws now allows for the inheritance of the earth and for the gospel now to spread as the waters cover the ocean across the entire earth yeah that's yeah. a really good verse really good verse yeah and then we move on to hebrews 1 verses 13 uh, which says, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a foot, footstool mm. for your feet. Yeah, yeah. Which again, <laughs> our enemies being made a footstool. <laughs> yes, yes. And then moving on to Psalms 37, 29, which says, the righteous, the righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. Mm. Yep. There we go. We we 
We have the land. We, we <laughs> shall inherit the land. Yes. And again, this this continues on where we, we find so many verses that this this shows this. Yeah. Again, we, we come to, again, Psalms 37, but now verse 34, which says, wait for, the, wait for the Lord and keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. Mm. Yes. Wow. It's fantastic. And so yeah, all of that under the heading, the Bible tells us to have hope. The Bible mm-hmm. gives us that Hope. I yeah. mean, I also think uh, always be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. You know, we, yeah. we have that that hope and we need mm-hmm. to be ready to give an answer. Why are you so hopeful? Because Christ is king. Because <laughs> Christ is reigning and transforming, fundamentally transforming this earth in his image. Yeah. Restoring it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And then moving on to my last one, which is John 12, 30. And this is not directly talking about inheriting the earth, but it says, uh, Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Mm. And when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw, sorry, and and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will people, will draw all people to myself. Yes. Right. It's absolutely incredible. When I'm lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When he when he died and rose rose again. Yep. Went up went into the hev- into heaven to sit at God's right hand. He drew drew all people to himself. Truly, going back to Genesis, I mean, he will bruise his heel, mm-hmm. but Christ will crush his head. I mean, the death of Christ bruised his heel but that when i'm drawn up i will bring everyone to my the ultimate death blow the ultimate crushing of the serpent's head and in the in the the most ridiculous of ways i mean we've been talking this whole week about how the wisdom of god looks like foolishness to men with darkened hearts a man dying to us seems like a horrible thing it's mm-hmm. like, oh my goodness, this is horrible. And it was. But to say you have victory because you died. Hmm. Uh, does that make sense without a Christian perspective? Not really. <laughs> right? no. yeah. And yet we have the greatest victory of all in Christ. Not just in our hearts, not just spiritually, but because now we can go and make disciples of all the nations because of what he's done yeah. and because he is with us even until the end of the age. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's the most hopeful message there is. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So and then we are at time. <laughs> okay. But yeah. if you wanted to, I, I know you have like one more point. If you just wanted to wrap it up in like two minutes, it's completely cool. I, I'm yeah. so sorry I've talked yeah. so much. <laughs> no, that's fine. And and this is not going to be long, right? This is what we we've been talking about this entire time, right? It, what it all culminates to. Yes. Right? And, and it's what we need to know, what we need to know what we're working towards, right? What is the end goal? What does mm. it look like? Yes. And like we've been saying this entire time, it's comprehensive, comprehensively confessing Christ, right? Yep. All areas, in all areas, whether it be the government, whether it be the church, whether it be 
family and individual. Yes. They will confess Christ. Right. The world will be God's. Right. And in, this is not, we're not obtaining the world for God. Right. right? As we were saying last week in our, in our Friday episode, we're not obtaining the world for Christ. <laughs> he has obtained it. He already has we it. We are just going out and claiming it. Yes. Just restoring it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. He, he is not working right now to, uh, reclaim it or, or to, to, uh, to restake his claim. No, he's, right. he already owns it. He is all authority in heaven and on earth. <laughs> he already has it. Now we are just calling the people to repent. Now we're just yeah. going and restoring it. Now we're doing what Matthew five thirteen, which is our show verse for a reason, preserving culture, restoring it back to what it should be, what the Bible says culture needs to be. Awesome. Great points, Jake. Thanks so much for fleshing those out and bringing up all those verses to, to extrapolate on some of those ideas. That was really, really good. Awesome. Well, anything you want to say before we wrap up today? Nope. All right. Very cool. Well, thank you all so, so much for listening to us or watching us today. Um, thanks for joining our discussion Friday. If you have questions or you know, disagreement, different opinion. We'd love to hear about it. Send us uh, an email at trdshow at protopmail.com. Go to our website, uh, trdshow.net, and uh, send us a message through our website. You can also uh, just leave a comment in whatever, on whatever platform you're on right now. And uh, we are looking forward to seeing you on Monday. Hope you have a wonderful weekend. And remember, in all that you do, do it as unto the Lord. <laughs>